Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of MMI Taboo's Broken Through Honesty podcast. My name is Jerry and I'm here with my colleague Venisha. Hi Jerry, I hope that this is not going to be a very long and hard episode. Well, I sure hope not Venisha. But related to that, we'll be discussing men's sexual health issues today and we have a very special guest, Dr. George Lee. Most of us would know Dr. George from his Star newspaper column, Putting Dr. G on the Spot, and he's also been kind enough to um, help out with some MMI activities before. Hi, Dr. George. Hello, Manisha. Thank you very much Hello. for your invitation. Hello, Jerry. Right. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for joining us today. Do you mind introducing yourself to our listeners, please? Okay, uh, I'm Dr. Josh Lee. I'm a consultant urologist. I practice as one of the uh, hospitals in Kuala Lumpur. I also um, uh, am academic urologist. I teach in the uh, Monash University and then I'm a clinical associate professor. My area of expertise is endourology and sexual health and men's health. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm hoping to enlighten the uh, viewers uh, on all the myths and also all the taboos about men's health. All right. Thank you very much, Dr. George. And I hope this podcast will be able to enlighten many people. But I think the main thing on people's minds right now is actually COVID-19. And related to that, I was reading through one of your articles that you wrote on The Star. And I think the title of the article was Romancing During Social Distancing. It was quite interesting and I think you discussed how the safest sex during a pandemic is to stick to your household sex partner, is that correct? Yes, indeed. Um, in fact, um, sexual health probably is the last thing on someone's mind when it comes to guidelines. But the uh, New York Health Authority actually came out with specific guidelines. I think um, during this time, there are several issues that one needs to be, avail- uh, to be aware of. First of all, um, obviously, uh, apart from the actual um, uh, contact that we have with our family members, um, the contacts with outside person will actually transmit uh, the actual uh, COVID-19 virus. So therefore, not just the actual physical distancing from other people, sticking to the same people of the family members is crucial, not just uh, when it comes to sex, when it comes to any other matters at all. So um, other issues that people always uh, talked about um, are um, any uh, intimacy, what are the risk of transmission? So um, there's a specific analysis looking at what, where are the viruses when it comes to our bodily contact. We all hear about our hands and also touching our face uh, will transmit COVID virus. However, uh, there are also other issues. For example, uh, there are scientific data to show that feces contain um, a lot of um, uh, COVID virus, saliva, and then therefore kissing and touching mouth will have that. And interestingly, uh, semen and also vaginal secretion initially thought not to contain so much uh, COVID virus. However, what is uh, transparent is that from autopsy studies and also further analysis, uh, that COVID virus actually exists in the testicles and also to some extent is also excreted in the semen. Therefore, um, indeed, indeed, 
the real safe sex during COVID uh, era is no sex at all. Uh, so celibacy is one. But obviously that's not possible for everybody. And then therefore sticking to your known um, sexual partner will be crucially important. And if you do not stick to your sexually known COVID, um, uh, sexually known regular sexual partner, and then therefore you risk yourself during touching, during intimacy, during kissing, during penetrative intercourse, uh, especially when it involves um, you know unconventional ways such as um, you know anal intercourse, will risk the transmissions of the um, virus. Although the condoms is protective. However, since we have a lot intimacy involves in a lot of physical uh, touching and therefore condom itself is not just good enough uh, to protect one from getting COVID-19 virus. All right. Thank you so much for that comprehensive explanation, Dr. George. And I think you explained about how the safest sex would be having no sex at all. But yeah. this also brings up the idea of safe sex. And I realize many Malaysians uh, don't have much idea on what safe sex is and they have many misconceptions. And I think Venetia has a myth that she'd like to discuss about with you. Hi, yes, I do. Um, so one of the most popular myths and more worryingly a common practice among teenagers and even some irresponsible adults is pulling out means no babies. So what does pulling out actually mean? And more importantly, does it really work? Okay, right. Uh, pulling out sometimes in scientific term is called withdrawal technique for contraceptions uh, because one would imagine that uh, the actual load of the semen uh, contains all the uh, sperms and then the, if one ejaculates inside the partner and therefore the chances of um, conce conception, fertilizations will be significantly higher. Uh, a lot of people uh, use pulling out technique as a way of family planning because some uh, men don't like wearing condoms, some women don't like taking contraceptions. Therefore, pulling out technique is uh, the withdrawal technique. Uh, pulling out technique has two problems because we know that pre-ejaculatory uh, emissions, uh, therefore secretions during sexual arousal in men contain sperms. Uh, therefore, uh, during penetration and pull out just prior to ejaculation is useless when you actually have emission prior to ejaculations. Um, the other issues obviously is um, when we talk about sex, uh, safe sex, we also talk about sexually transmitted infection. Any form of sexual contact, i.e. skin to skin, uh, will uh, transmit certain viruses such as human papilloma virus uh, in women that can induce um, uh, cervical changes and cause cervical cancer. And then also the contact itself can cause chlamydia, gonorrhea, trichomonas, ureplasma, mycoplasma, herpes simplex virus, and also can cause um, if there's a secretion called HIV. Uh, therefore, um, Pulling out technique, although has maybe one in three chance of um, reducing conception, but 30% chance uh, of contraceptions is really quite high. Compared to, let's say, proper use of condom, you're looking at um, significantly more protective. Uh, and then also uh, oral contraceptive pills. And then you're also looking at significantly uh, less failure rate. For, so for those people who try to save money on condoms, um, then you risk yourself for section SDI and also unwanted baby. Um, in a setting like Malaysia, uh, where sexual education may not be uh, a formal way, therefore um, 
the use of um, condom may not be so prevalent and also the education about contraceptions, uh, oral contraceptive pills and that sort of thing may not be so widely uh, discussed because it's a taboo. Uh, in a situation like this, we will have significantly higher sexually transmitted infection and also unwanted baby. You're absolutely right, sex education uh, is uh, the only way to debunk and also uh, get rid of any myth about uh, uh, safe sex. Right. Right. So thanks very much, Dr. George. And I do agree with you that uh, sexual education is something that's very needed in our Malaysian society. So you mentioned the oral contraceptive pill and condoms. Can you briefly explain to our listeners what are other effective ways to have safe sex? All right. Um, the safe sex comes in two portions uh, because sex actually has two functions. One is recreation, the other one is procreation. Recreation's purposes is to re re reduce the risk of um, uh, sexual transmissions uh, of infection. Uh, although condom is well recognized to reduce significantly transmission of HIV, herpes, syphilis, and also gonorrhea and chlamydia, it has to be used safely. And therefore, uh, it will have almost 90 more than 95% protective rate if it's used safely, but it's not 100% protective. For example, HPV, which is causing uh, genital warts, uh, the certain part of the penis is not protected by uh, the condom, and then uh, and that will transmit the infection to the labia, and also will transmit infection to the um, to the uh, base of the penis. Alright, thanks so much for that uh, comprehensive explanation about safe sex and also about uh, STIs which you've mentioned in detail. So I think now we'll proceed to another myth that we know about sex. And one myth that I've heard is that masturbation and pornography usage can lead to erectile dysfunction or decreased libido. So is this myth true, doctor? Could you please uh, enlighten our listeners on this issue? Um, in fact, there's a lot of studies done about such uh, practice because um, many people who perhaps uh, masturbate too frequently will have uh, guilt and then therefore when they have guilt, if they encounter any form of sexual dysfunction, they will blame uh, their previous indulgence in sexual activities. Um, there are multiple studies to show uh, there's no correlations between um, frequency of um, masturbation during their youth or earlier years uh, will have any significant impact on rigidity of the penis later years. However, there are a caveat to that. Obviously, persistent um, uh, masturbation itself, if it's done very vigorously, may cause tissue damage, uh, uh, skin infection and that sort of thing. That itself may induce some degree of physical uh, uh, trauma to the penis and that might cause some degree of um, sexual dysfunction such as erectile dysfunction. Uh, the other part of the uh, pornography, uh, pornography obviously in the recent era, uh, for example in the internet era, it's very accessible. Uh, so many people will have a simple device such as a handphone can actually access pornography. So we don't really know the data, but we know that when an individual is too dependent on um, uh, simulating material, um, adult material to do that, 
they actually lose touch on the relationship and also sexual contact and intimacy with their partners. And they may find some degree of uh, difficulties because what is portrayed in pornographic material is very different from what real life is. For example, um, when there's a lot of editing and recording in uh, uh, filming of uh, adult industry movies, but in real life, uh, men do not have such um, interval of um, you know intercourse for ejaculation. So, um, so pornography will have two adversity to a normal sexual function. Number one, living up to expectation of what is portrayed in pornography may not be a healthy way of living a uh, normal sexual health. The other problem is that when somebody is overly dependent on uh, pornography, the evidence that such dependency is just like addiction. And addiction, obviously, is not good for a relationship. In terms of addiction, addiction also built tolerance. When somebody has a little bit of um, pornographic stimulation, they want more. They want something more uh, erotic and therefore uh, they seek more thrill in more and more pornographic um, experience and that itself has adverse impact on a sexual and normal sexual relationship with your partner. So, um, I actually read recently online that a couple who are having issues with their sexual lives so her boyfriend has been watching too much porn on the internet and therefore developed a certain fetish so he would only have sex with her if she conforms to those fetishes. So could you say that watching too much porn like can cause a strain in your relationship? Indeed. I mean, um, uh, when one is, um, let's say an individual is watching porn, regardless of whether the gender is male or female, uh, there's always that guilt come into it. And then uh, because um, they always have shame and guilt to it. When that shame and guilt is part of a relationship, it's always difficult to have an honesty and open communication in the relationship. And uh, when they get found out, there's always that uh, sense of anger, denial, and then uh, that itself will create cracks in the relationship. Uh, when somebody is addicted and built tolerance to uh, pornographic material and impose such uh, practice to their partners, who may or may not have the similar expectation or similar willingness, then that will build a disparity in their sexual desire and their sexual needs. And when there is disparity, and then there's always that cracks in the relationship. So in smaller doses and in normal practices, when it's acceptable, when nobody gets hurt, there's no um, uh, adversity, usually that is part of the foreplay. That's usually like role plays and you know uh, intimacies with massage and also things. It's always built up to an erotic experience. However, when that cross the line uh, of certain fetishes, obviously it's open to interpretations, and then uh, because different people have different interpretations of fetishes, and then therefore um, it may create concerns in a relationship and may create uh, some degree of resentment and also misunderstanding and uh, in that relationship. Sometimes when the situation comes to that, it always requires a third party to sit down and lay out what is acceptable, what is not acceptable and through that communication and then uh, both parties can meet in the uh, kind of like a middle ground.
Okay. All right. So thanks, Dr. George. So it seems from what you're saying, uh, masturbation, excessive masturbation and pornography usage can have a lot of negative consequences, both physically for the male and psychologically, and also reduce stress on relationships. Um, not necessarily. I think um, what is uh, important is the definition of excess. excess. You know, some people, excess masturbation might just mean um, once or twice a week. Some people might mean uh, twice a day. So I think it's, um, it's careful to generalize, to say that, you know, excess masturbation is um, going to impact on relationship. Excess pornographic material is going to impact on relationship. I think the key is, number one, um, it is normal to do that. It is a normal physiological desire for men and women to engage in self-indulgence. So don't feel guilty if you uh, engage in any um, uh, masturbations or uh, pornographic indulgence. Number two is that um, excess is only applicable if such activity is affecting your normal lifestyle. For example, if it's affecting your work, your study, and also uh, make you feel tired all the time, and then that is clearly affecting your quality of life. The third thing is that it's only adversely affecting your life if it's also affecting or hurting your relationship and your partner. Therefore, uh, one needs to be extremely careful about generalizing that uh, masturbation is bad or watching porn is bad. I think in small doses and everything in life is about moderation and that moderation is up to individual to draw that line. All right, okay. thanks Dr. George for that explanation um, about masturbation and pornography usage. So now we just want to change gears a bit and I want to ask you about another myth. So another myth or assumption that I've heard is that an erection is always needed for sex. Um, can you explain uh, to us whether that's always the case? Okay, well it depends on what you define as sex. Um, there are relationships when uh, there's no penetrative sex and then so uh, obviously under that circumstance uh, erection is not needed. And obviously if uh, sex of the same gender uh, who both have no penis, erection is irrelevant completely. Uh, for example, in a lesbian relationship, erection is irrelevant. Uh, in a relationship where um, a man undergone an operation where rendered them uh, inability to have erection, they can still have intimacy, not necessarily penetrative sex, and then they can still have sex. So um, the definition of sex is an um, act of intimacy between two individuals and then or, or more, and therefore um, the erection is the conventional way of discussing a penetrative sex, which is one part of sex, but it is not overall generalization of sex. There are many people who can't get erection or may not have penis. We deal with many patients who have penile cancer, for example, uh, you know, somehow or another, they will still maintain a, uh, some normalcy without uh, any penetrative sex. Yeah. So, in a conventional way, uh, erection is desirable for penetrative sex. And then therefore, recent two decades, there are a lot of new 
pharmaceutical intervention that has been developed in order to enhance that erection. Because uh, we all know that erection hardness correlates to better satisfactory sexual experience, both for men and for women. So therefore, um, some men reminiscent uh, the younger days when their erection is significantly harder. Uh, therefore, to relive that sort of experience, uh, there are medications that's available in order to help. So, uh, in relation to the myth just now mentioned by my colleague Jerry, how can we tell if someone is suffering from a decreased libido or erectile dysfunction? Is there a possible relation between the two? And when should they consult a doctor about it? Okay, to find out whether they've got erectile dysfunction is very simple. You know, you cannot achieve hard enough erection because erectile dysfunction by definition is inability to achieve uh, rigidity of the penis hard enough for penetrative sex or sustain that penetrative sex. So for a man uh, not able to achieve that erection and difficult to sustain it, uh, this person uh, encounters uh, problems with erectile dysfunction. The experience itself might be partner dependent, so uh, they might encounter this, uh, one problems with one partner and then not having the same problem with another partner. So erectile dysfunction to, to find out whether someone's got it or not is very, very simple. As far as libido is concerned, and then it's slightly more difficult. Uh, libido in a quantified manner, it's uh, measuring the frequency of sexual desire. But if you ask an individual how frequently do you desire sex, it's very subjective uh, because um, whether they wake up, they feel sexy or they feel like they want to have sex or not, it's, it's quite a variable spectrum. Therefore, um, uh, libido itself is um, quite a variable entity. Whether libido leads to erection or not, uh, yes and no because sometimes you can get erection even though you don't feel aroused or sexually aroused and then sometimes you feel sexually aroused but you don't necessarily want to have penetrative sex you just feel aroused and you think about sex and that's it so um, there are many physiological conditions that controls erection and libido namely um, our brain uh, which is the biggest sexual organ the, our brain uh, will induce all these uh, signals to our um, sexual organs, both men and women, in the middle of the night and then that create nocturnal uh, penile uh, tumescence or nocturnal clitoral tumescence and then that essentially is just perfuse uh, vessels, uh, perfuse the vessels towards the genitalia. However, in addition to that, uh, we have endocrinological uh, system uh, namely uh, androgen or testosterone that actually drives that desire. So these are two different entities, they are, but they are closely linked uh, in order to create a uh, desirable and satisfactory sexual experience. Okay. All right, so I hope all our listeners were taking notes there. And now moving on to another popular myth in Malaysia. Uncut means better sex. So does circumcision affect sexual pleasure? And if it does, is it more for the women or the men? Okay, I mean, this is an argument that has gone on uh, for thousands of years and then uh, whether uh, circumcised men make better lover or less of a better lover. So there are multiple studies that has been carried out. Some studies say, uh, say yes, some studies say no. 
Again, it boils down to how you measure better lover or better sexual experience. Uh, some people measure it by the feelings, subjective feelings. Some people measure it by the sensation. Some people measure it by the uh, actual uh, interval of intercourse. So premature or non-premature. Some people measure it by rigidity. Um, it's quite variable in how people measure it. One third of the population in the uh, in the world in this planet has no foreskin, either due to cultural or religious reasons to remove the foreskin. And uh, so far, from majority of the study, actually there is no difference between cut or uncut men to make them better or uh, worse lovers. Um, there are studies to show that women uh, ex uh, enjoy having sex with. Uh, circumcised men. There are studies who show that women enjoy sex with non-circumcised men. And then on the other hand, reciprocally, uh, we also have uh, similar responses of men who are cut and uncut. So I think majority of time, it's actually not what you do with a circumcised or not. Uh, it's not exactly is whether you're cut or not cut. It's actually what you do with your penis that is cut or not cut is crucially important. All right. Thanks for that key point there, Dr. G. So I think you mentioned that one third of the world's population, of the male population, is circumcised and that's usually due to cultural or religious reasons. What about scientific reasons? Are there any evidence-based medicine reasons for men to get circumcised? Okay, there are, there are two main reasons to circumcise men. And then uh, for children, uh, one of the reasons is recurrent urinary tract infection. If a boy keep getting UTI, that is threatening their kidney function. A circumcision usually is a very effective way of preventing further infection. The second clinical indications of doing circumcision is a condition called phimosis. If a man's foreskin is way too tight and constantly cause uh, entrapment of their penis, a condition called paraphimosis, then uh, a circumcision is inevitable. So, um, are there any disadvantages to circumcision then? Uh, yes, uh, if the circumcision is done not done properly, there's significant disadvantage. Uh, if let's say the skin is cut too uh, much and then this penis will be feeling tight when it's erect. If there's scarring that is done properly, the penis will curve uh, very differently. Uh, that may not be too um, satisfactory for penetrative intercourse. And then uh, also if the circumcision is um, basically done with too much skin left behind again that will create uh, abundance of skin that will make it uh, look uh, cosmetically not pleasing so circumcision itself um, may have uh, some disadvantages but there are a lot of advantages that has been noted in scientific community it's noted that men with circumcised penis are less susceptible to sexually transmitted infection for example so uh, the risk of HIV transmission done in Sub-Saharan um, Africa uh, to show that circumcised men are less likely to contract HIV and then uh, and also other diseases. But we're talking about less likely. There's still um, a sh uh, most important assurance is uh, protection such as condom. Obviously, a circumcised penis is cleaner and more hygienic, but if a uncircumcised man uh, are, uh, are willing to pull back the foreskin clean it on a regular basis, then uh, there is no um, difference between um, the hygienic basis of circumcised or uncircumcised men. 
All right. So it seems like there's advantages and some disadvantages on both sides. So in that case, for men with no medical reason to get circumcised and no religious pressure to get circumcised, in your own clinical practice, would you encourage men to be circumcised in that case? Um, I think according to most of the um, Andrological Society, Sexual Health uh, Society, uh, Pediatric Society, we all discourage circumcision of uh, elective circumcision for no reasons. For example, if a parent bring a child over and said, um, uh, my, uh, my father is circumcised, I'm circumcised, I want my children to circumcise, we would like them to reconsider this. Uh, because this is an elective operation done for no reasons at all. And then, um, and obviously, retrospectively, if the child experiences uh, any form of complication, which they are, any form of operation will carry some uh, complications, uh, which is between 2 to 5%, such as infections of the skin, bleeding. And then uh, it will, there will be regret uh, of carrying out an operation that is not necessary for elective operation. I see. Thanks, Dr. G, for giving us the lowdown on circumcision. Alright, so there you have it. Today we have managed to debunk a few myths. We learned from Dr. G that pulling out does not mean no babies. Masturbation and pornography use does not lead to erectile dysfunction or decreased libido. But remember that moderation is key. Erection is also not necessary for sex and uncut does not mean better sex. So, Dr. G, we've covered a lot of things during today's podcast, but before we end this episode, do you have any other extra sexual health advice for our male audience who might be listening in? Yeah, or, or male or female, because it takes two to tangle. Oh, um, definitely. Yes. Um, I, I think uh, the key part, actually, is uh, sex is a taboo. Uh, sometimes uh, people can share a same bed, but actually not share the uh, discussion about what is uh, the likes and dislikes and people find that whole discussion about sex a taboo and in fact sex is a physiological response to um, men and women so it's healthy to talk about sex and then uh, so once we can talk about sex then we can eliminate a lot of myth and we can prevent many many things such as unwanted pregnancy unwanted infections and then only that uh, we can actually build and also um, encourage strong relationship in intimacy and that's the only way to build a healthy sexual relationship in many many years to come and that is the wrap so thank you doctor for taking the time to chat with us today thank you i hope to see you soon bye-bye thank you very much dr g and to all our listeners for tuning in. We hope that today's podcast has been enlightening and has managed to break some of our taboos with honesty through the discussion with Dr. G. During the CMCO, make sure to practice social distancing and also safe sex. Tune in next week for another interesting episode of MMI Taboos Broken Through Honesty podcast. Do remember to follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and also share this episode with your friends. Goodbye.